regardless of how we find ourselves in the world of divorce, the one thing we have complete control over is how we behave from here on out. We have two choices. One is to remain stuck in the stories, the anger and pain. And the other is to take a breath, adjust our sail to the wind, and work harder than ever before to create a new story for our children, for ourselves, and for the world around us. It's your choice, your work, but I'll be in your corner. Welcome to In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Tamsin Astor. Tamsin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Carly. I'm so excited to be here. I'm going to read a little bit about this amazing force in front of me. Force of Habit, Unleash Your Power by Developing Great Habits. That's your book. Yep. She helps busy people organize themselves so they have time for what they want and need and time for fun. She says she's your chief habit scientist, which I love. Helping you create connections between your daily habits so that you reduce the decisions you have to make and free up time for the good stuff. Tamsin is trained in psychology, neuroscience, yoga, meditation. I'm going to say this wrong as I always do. Ayurveda. Yay, nailed it. Yeah. Health coaching, executive coaching to create healthy routines and habits for an abundant and joyous life. Um, reading your story, I cannot begin to tell you how parallel our stories are. Like I can't, I mean, when you start to hear mine and you're, you're going to be like, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> before we get into anything, I want to acknowledge something that you wrote and I want to see if I'm right. When you talked about being face down in the arena, were you referring to one of my favorite passages about the arena? Yeah. Do you mind if I read it? Yeah, no, go for it. It's, I have it on a chalkboard in my house in huge letters. I make my kids read it and they're like, and I make them like understand the words. They're like, I don't need to understand. I'm like, you do. You need to understand the words. So um, this became popular from Brene Brown, but it was obviously not hers. Yeah. <laughs> it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So I'm guessing, is this where your face down in the arena reference comes from? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Can you yeah. speak to me about why, what connects you to that piece? So for me, you know, I've had a number of bumps in my life, but the, you know, the one that was the initial sort of hugely significant one was when my child was diagnosed with cancer. And what was fascinating about that was firstly how in our generation, you know, it's not expected to, we're not expected to lose multiple children or children at all, right? Like it just in a number of generations. And I know that's also coming from a place of, you know, middle-class white privilege too, right? Right. Um, but you know, we don't expect to lose our children. And so when I was actively facing the idea that I might lose one of my children to cancer. Um, so how old was your son when this happened? He was two. Okay, so give us a little background. Sure. Take us so, to that time. 
So in 2008, we'd been in, in Cleveland for about a year and I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I'd left academia and I was teaching yoga and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, you know, with the next phase of my life, realizing that the academic um, world was not completely for me. <laughs> and my son ended up in the ER twice and each time they couldn't quite figure it out. And so we ended up going to his pediatrician and going, we think there is something really wrong here. Um, felt in your mommy gut yeah that's not that the you know that they're not figuring out in the er and so they sent us off for a whole lot of tests we're actually almost at the anniversary it was the thursday after um after labor day and um we went to have um an ultrasound and they thought they diagnosed intersusception when your intestines telescope over each other and then they constrict Bend. and then they yeah. start to necrotize they start to yeah. die and so I got this call going and I was actually at a local yoga studio signing up for a weekend. And I think it was like a weekend workshop with Catherine Budig or some kind of fun. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do something fun for me. Yes. Um, and I got this call as I was like handing my credit card going, get to the ER immediately with your son, you know? And so I like ran out of the studio with him on my hip, like and headed to the ER. And after about seven hours of testing, my ex-husband, my husband. Well, by the way, I, I've never heard that before. So she calls her co-parent her husband, okay? Because he was my husband. And he's going to be my Because I don't like saying the word ex. It feels yeah. like I've crossed you out. Yeah. And, and it also has that kind of throaty kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of reconfirms the kind of ickiness of it. Yeah, all, so right? husband. So where was your husband? So my husband had come in because he'd, you know, he'd been looking after our four-year-old and then he'd gone back home. So I was at, at the hospital on my own at the Cleveland Clinic and it was about 11 o'clock at night and my son was finally asleep. And the nurse came in and said, the pediatric oncologist wants to talk to you, which is just like the, like the thing you don't want to hear, you know? And I remember walking into the hallway and he looked at me and he had this very sweet, gentle, sort of grandfatherly energy. And he looked at me and I said, I'm so terribly sorry, but I'm, I'm, you know, your son has cancer. We need to do confirmatory tests tomorrow. And it was just like, and I remember like, that was when one of my yoga trainings just kicked in. I remember just thinking, standing there against the wall going, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. Like that's all I can do right now. You know, you know what those moments are, especially you can relate to this as being a yogi. It's the bowl. It's the chime hitting the bowl going, yeah. wake up. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite lines ever I have in above my mantle that says, the trouble is you think you have time. Mm, right. And, right, yeah. we get these moments and it just, every there's like pre and, and post. And there's nothing yeah. will ever be the same from that moment. So you're against the wall, you're breathing. And yeah. then what? And then, and then I, and then I slid to the floor you know, in tears and bit really cognizant of the fact that he was asleep in the room behind me and I didn't want to wake him up, you know, because he'd been prodded and probed for, you know, seven hours. Um, and the ER hospital, they were so sweet. They tried to do an international call to my parents, um, but they couldn't, they weren't allowed to do that from that. But it was the sweetest thing. They would, they tried for like- Because this was hour. 12 years ago. Yeah. yeah so it wasn't was, easy to do. Right. And they didn't have privileges or whatever. Right. Like they couldn't figure out the system. And so, and I was in the sort of the basement of the ER and I ended up texting my brother and my brother was working in the city in London at that point. So, you know, working 20 hours a day, you know, seven days a week <laughs> in service of the, <laughs> that good. And um, I texted him and I said to him what was going on. And he's like, call, call mom and dad. And I'm like, I can't, like it's four in the morning, you know? And he's like, they'll want to know. And so I went outside and called my parents and my mom was on a plane within five hours. 
And that's what moms do. Right. And then three months later, she was still living with us as we went through that. And, and my dad too, my dad followed a couple of days later. Um, but for me, that was the real, that was my first face down in the, in the arena moment, because it really required me to, you know, think about the roles I embodied and valued, you know, as a wife, as a mother, as a yoga teacher, as a friend's daughter, all these, you know, places. And then who was I, right? Who was I and how was I going to navigate these roles and show up and serve? And what did it mean about who I was in the world that I was going through this, right? Because at that point, I'd really started to dig into Buddhism to try and make sense of the world. And, you know, one of the things that is so, so such a feature of Buddhism, which, you know, we've kind of clean, we've kind of, you know, sanitized in our modern worlds, is we don't face death and birth in the way that we used to, right? It's all in a hospital, it's behind closed doors. We don't really dig into it and face it. And you know, one of the main reasons for facing death is it brings joy to life, right? It's, you, it's back to that quotation you just said, right? You recognize the value of your life and the time you have. And so for me- It's perspective for everything. It's, totally. it's wake up, it's all the things that you thought were important before that call actually mean nothing and like right now as you know all the parents that are freaking out because their schedules are not up right. i get it but at the same time one of my son's best friends is you know on round two of chemo like yeah, and yeah. so like right. who cares right, right? No, totally. it just wakes you up totally and i remember that one of the things being so funny about about this like on that level is you know my kids used to go to this um montessori school where they had no uniform and it was very sort of free about what they could wear and, you know, one of the parents was freaking out because her, you know, part of the whole Montessori method is that you let your kids take charge, right? And her kid was showing up wearing like plaid and spots. And it was just like, this is really stressful. I was like, give a fuck. Like, I know. Get over it. With like maple syrup stained unicorn <laughs> pajamas and odd socks. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're alive and happy and they've gone into the world knowing that I think they're the best goddamn thing ever. Yes. That's fine. Like, yes. you go to school with like toothpaste on your shirt. I'm yeah. not going to make you change it if you don't want to. Like, pick It's your, your choice, right? So tell me, how was your husband during the trauma of cancer? So, you know, it was really interesting because he grew up um, without any sort of, he, he grew up with Oxford academic parents. So he didn't have, um, it was very intellectual, but no, no structure and he had no religion. And what was really interesting to me was when that happened, there were two things that were very striking to me. The first was he, he really felt the need for um, a religious community to hold us and, and contain us and to support us which was really interesting to me. And it really made me think of that book, you know, spiritual materialism of how, mm. you know, there's that tendency in our culture of when the shit hits the fan to be yep. like, Oh my God, I need God. Yes. Ah! <laughs> you know, like, so oh crap, really I, I wasted all this time. I totally forgot to make that relationship important. Right. Right. So that was one really interesting piece to me to sort of watch that. And then the second was, um, he, he, and, and to this day, he struggles holding the emotions of other people. And so, of course, the first thing to go for me was sleep. You know, my sleep was obviously complete. Did you have the thing? So my son, my youngest, is got two potentially fatal medical conditions. And so I can really relate hard to this. And when I was going through the worst part of it, I could not be, there could not be quiet. Because the quiet meant I would 
hear all the new medical terms mm -hmm. that I was learning floating by my head, like on a plane. Mm -hmm. And it, the noise was so intense. And what, you know, what I want to know from your story is, you know, I do not believe that my marriage did not survive because of our child's medical stuff. Mm -hmm. However, I do believe that the structure and foundation had cracks in it that when the weight of something that heavy of life mm -hmm. came to us, we could barely hold it up together as a team. Right. No, I mean, I think, you know, what was the, I mean, he struggled with the pain and, you know, he went into, which is a very, it's a sort of, it's a crude but gendered thing of the, of the fixer, right? Mm -hmm. He went into fixer mode. So his first, the, one of the first comments he, he said to me was, you need to go to a psychiatrist and get sleeping pills. And I remember saying to him, it's completely normal for me not to sleep through the night when my two-year-old has been diagnosed with cancer. That's a healthy human reaction. Right. Like, like don't pathologize me. Right. <laughs> you know? And, and, you know, yes, you know, so I think we got through that and we had different coping skills to get through that. Um, but the, the difference in our coping skills started then and just grew further and further. You could see apart. it come out. It wasn't right. that, that, that it just kind of brought it to the surface, kind of like right. COVID right now is bringing to the surface. Everyone's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. So my, so I went down the like more Buddhism, more meditation, more yoga, more vegan, more going I need to be connected. Garden. I need to be open. I need to be awake. And I need, and I need rituals and routines that are not like, that was when I started reading books on Ayurveda and like, I need to contain myself and create the, the things that are going to make me feel safe and right. allow me to show up, you know, and that was what Which we're going to get to, because I'm so excited about what you do, because for people listening to this, going through divorce or going post-divorce, there's so much that we can't control. And I think what you were doing is you found what you could control in a healthy way that right that made it so you have a safe environment in the middle of the chaos. Right. And that was where we had this massive split because he went down the, the food and the cooking and the eating and drinking a bit more and wanting to argue and like deal with it in that way, which I totally get. And I've been through those stages in my life. But at that point I started realizing that drinking a bottle of red wine and arguing about it was not <laughs> going to, was, was going to make me feel shittier, you know? Yeah. Will you tell me about your face down in the arena, which we're going to get to in a minute, being the human you are and what I read about you, which I think is pretty incredible and what you've experienced, how do you handle criticism or judgment or disapproval today? Mm. Because it's still available, right? right? Totally, totally. And I think so, you know, it's really interesting. I watched um, the JVN Olympics last night because I fucking love yeah. Van Ness. And, you know, what was, what, was really clear about that. And what I tried to bring into the world too is being so, so insanely outrageously comfortable with who you are, that when other people criticize you, it's like, okay, you know, it's not my job to care what other people think. And, yeah. you know, I don't always get it right. And I don't always um, manage that. But a big part of that, which also factors into divorce and how you navigate that is boundaries. And it's like, who, yes. and I mean, and Brene Brown touches on that, you know, yes. and, she, and she says that like, if you are not in the battle ring with me, you have no place criticizing me. And it's been really interesting as I've watched in the last six months is that I've always been an activist. Moving to the U S made me an activist growing up in an intellectual middle-class educated white family in London where my parents friends were gay and mixed race and all of that I wasn't I wasn't an activist 
So what do you mean by moving to the U.S. made you an activist? Because you saw how, how segregated and gross it is here. Uh, well, and also <laughs> I went to Planned Parenthood in 2002 as a newly married woman to get to get my, to get my screening and get my oh, pill, yeah. which is what I've always done in the U.K. is go to those yeah. sorts of organizations. And as I, in this, I was living in Missouri at that point doing a postdoc at Wash U in St. Louis. And there were priests outside screaming at us and, and shouting it. And I was looking and I looked around and I was like, where the fuck have I moved? Yeah. But a woman going to get her screen for cancer and to get the pill is abused. I was like, oh my God, where am I? Right. I know. You know, and that, that started my path into looking into all of the, you know, so I, you know, in the last six months, again, have really stepped into that in my business. It started in 2016 of being, you know, that my, I, my brand is my business. My values are inherently woven yes. through everything I do. So if I don't make it explicit that when you work with me, part of what I earn goes to Planned Parenthood, yes. goes to the NAACP, goes to the, you know, goes to, um, uh, who else do I support? The Loveland Foundation, to the Human Rights Campaign, you know, to the, to NPR, like these are the things. Right, they, they're supporting you who's supporting these things. And you know what? I'm so grateful you said that. So, you know how social media is just a cluster. I posted a silly cartoon that I don't know if you'll relate to, but I think you might. It was just a black and white cartoon. Um, two women were back to back, like at a desk, and one of them whispered over the other shoulder, um, "What is the difference between being assertive and aggressive?" And the other woman said, "Your gender." Right. Totally. Because how society looks at women yeah. if we are because me and you are assertive and we have a voice we are considered a bitch yeah, uh, yeah. You know, but so when i posted that people went crazy and i thought i got rid of most of the crazy on my wall but what i found was that a lot of men who i loved were taking it about them they were yeah. saying you're making you're making a stereotype about men and i said there's nothing in here about men at all yeah. this yeah. is about women do this too to each other. Like yeah, totally. our society, if you're an assertive, confident, outspoken woman, mm -hmm. you're an, a bitch mm -hmm. or aggressive. If you're a man, you're confident and you've got your shit together. Absolutely. Right. And it sort of feeds into that. I was having this conversation with one of my clients the other day, because one of the things that I really help people do is to gather information about themselves so that they can make decisions and create boundaries and create habits and all of that. Right. And for me, it's two parts that I really help people do. One is like, and that's where I am like the chief habit science. I'm like, gather the data. Yes. Like, what are you eating? When are you exercising? How many hours are you on Facebook? Yes. Like let's gather the actual data of what's going on. And then you also have to sink into how do I feel? Yes. Like the kind of intuitive energetic piece around it. Right. And What's really interesting about that is I had a, a female client whom we were doing this work and I was like, and then, and a part of that process is, does this situation, does this person, does this experience make me feel whatever, right? And, you know, most women, and I, Glennon Doyle touches on this spectacularly and untamed, you know, start to shut down that kind of intuitive piece. And so we have to learn how to get into it again as, as adult women, if we're not in, a, in an amazing situation earlier on, but anger, is something that most women are not supposed to have, right? It's supposed to like, it's fine for us to be sad and anxious and fearful. Like those are all in the feminine space, you know? But if we're angry, you know, that's wrong, right? Men, men, fine for them to be angry. and. So really why is it important for us to be, to allow our anger? I think it's really important because emotions are energy in motion. And if you don't 
get them moving, they lodge in your energetic body. And mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that being the root cause of so many autoimmune disorders, cancer, all of these things, because that energy is being logged in there. And the second thing that I think is really important is that rage can be sacred as fuck. Yes. Right? It can burn things up. Like there's the, the yogic term for tejas, right? Which is, you know, zeal. Spell that word. It, it's, um, it's fire, T-E-J-A-S, and it means fire, right? It's unfettered zeal. And it's I'm like, the fire. Right? It's that commitment yeah. to the bigger vision, right? And it's really, really important, I think, to A, not allow that anger to store in your body, but B, allow it to be fuel. And I think it's one of the things that's been really interesting to me when I started studying Buddhism, you know, there's a lot of energy often in that spiritual world. of like, don't be angry, mm -hmm. to peace and joy, you know? And I feel like one, like there's a sort of white knuckling to that of like, I'm not going to be angry. I'm going to be really <laughs> fucking joyful. You but know? you have to, cause it'll come out. It'll come out in the most inappropriate way. And it's usually at our children, which is the last place we want it to come out. Exactly, exactly. And like you said, and I want, and this is leading us right to where I want to go to with you, which is your cousin who was like your brother. Mm. I have um, a quote from you, healthy in Ayurveda, I'm, I'm like stuck in this word, is defined as seated in the self. And I, I believe this is from your cousin. I definitely did not feel deeply contented, integrated, unified in all senses. I was not healthy in spirit and that affected everything. Yeah. Can you tell me about this? And where was this in terms of your son having cancer and everything going on? So my son was diagnosed in 2008 and by 2009, he was clear, which was amazing. We had a daughter in 2010. Um, which was fabulous. And then in 2013, my cousin, who was like my brother, three months younger than me, we grew up together. His father was going through medical school. So my grandparents and my, my mom and dad used to look after the four of us a lot. Um, him and his younger sister and me and my brother. And so we just like, spent every Christmas together, every you know vacation together, our summers together. And he um, was diagnosed with leukemia in 2013. And what was really striking about that was that he'd been in a position where he had been in an organization for years and he, they'd changed his position and he was, I forget the term, but it's when you're basically looking for people who are breaking the rules and you have to report them. And he was this super gentle, nerdy, um, you know, PhD uh, in, in like nuclear, you know, submarines, like, like, and he was just one of these like really nerdy, like Dungeons and Dragons-y kind of, you know, like lovely, sweet humans. But when he switched into this role where he had to report on people, he really felt that that negative energy that was constantly being thrown at him by others just ended up lodging in him. And he couldn't figure out a way of like releasing it and going about his business and being with his girlfriend and doing the things that he loved. Like he, he just really felt that energy. And he and I had a lot of conversations about that pitta fire and how that fire had sort of eaten him up from the inside out. And you know, as I studied more Ayurveda during this period, and I was doing my first training in this period, one of the things that was so striking to me was the different ways that the East and West define healthy, right? Because in the East, healthy is absence of disease, absence of symptom, right? But in the, in the East, in the Ayurvedic Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine, it's are you seated in the self? Mm. Which is such a completely different way of conceptualizing. I love that idea, right? that visual, are you seated in the self? When do you think you really got seated in yourself? 
So for me, it was, it was after I got divorced and I really threw myself a into parenting in the way that felt right for me and yeah. be launching a business because uh, I rebranded my business and integrated the two sides of my business when I got divorced. And so for me, when I really felt seated in myself was when I was not having to filter because I'd got to this point in my relationship with my oh. husband where the, the Eastern part, right? So we met when I was doing my PhD in neuroscience. We were both in the Institute of Cognitive Neuroscience. And as I moved more into Buddhism and yoga and meditation and, you know, the, the quote unquote woo, that was something that he didn't really put a lot of effort and energy and belief behind. And so I got to a point with him where I felt everything, I had to filter what I was saying. And that's not who I am. Like, I do not fucking filter, you know? Like, I just don't. Like, I've never been like that. And that, for me, really, you know, shut me down. And it was really interesting when I was probably, like, two months into living on my own, my kid said to me, wow, mom, you're happy. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oi, you know, I'd been, I thought I'd been holding it together in front of them, but they, but they could see it. They immediately could see it. They're the truth tellers. And, you know, I relate so hard to that. Um, my husband very much wanted me to not be as loud and as big and as Carly as I was and am. Mm -hmm. and I remember doing one of our miserable divorce talks in our bedroom, sitting there and I had to like repeat everything so it could be clear. Cause you know, the communication was so shit and I was like, okay, let me just get this clear. I want more of you. I want you. I want you to connect. I want you to give. I want you to share. I want you to physical. I want all of it. He's like, yeah, you want so much of me. And I said, and you want less of me. You want me to be more quiet and smaller and, and less needy. And he's like, yeah, I guess so. I said, so you want less of me and I want more of you. And then I felt a tear rolling down my face. And I said, I've worked so fucking hard for the last 18 plus years at that time to love Carly as is that I will never let anyone ask for less of me. And what it's done is it's given me that like, it's like a, it's a Renaissance is what I tell my clients. Like you're in the middle of the Renaissance. Yeah. So take me to the end of your marriage. So my cousin died in January, 2014. What was his name? Mark. Okay. Mark. Mark died in January, 2014. And I took my kids and my, my husband to, back to England for his funeral because I wanted my children to be part of that and to see it and, and I recognize my mourning, right? And recognize what was going on there. And at that point, my husband was putting together his final tenure packet. And he got tenure, but not in the department he wanted, not in the department he was in, not in the second choice. He got tenured in the third, in the third choice department. Um, but he finally got tenured and it was a really difficult, exhausting, you know, um, process. And in that last six months, I really started thinking about the conversations that Mark and I had had about, you know, the value of life and also about the value of who you are, not just who you are in reference to other people. And my husband had walked out three times in our marriage at this point. He'd walked out four weeks after our first child was born. He'd walked out when we were, he was applying for tenure direct jobs and we were in Missouri when I had a two year old and an eight month old. And he'd walked out um, in the fall of 13 when we'd had this cousin. argument. 
And so in 14, July 1st, Because, why is he walking out? Because he couldn't handle it. And so what he would just do is go to a hotel and not answer his phone for three days. And what would you do with little teeny babies? With a four-week-old? Four I, I mean, you know, I, I remember calling my parents at that point and, and just, just like falling apart, you know, and going, what am I going to do? You know, and, you know, to their credit, they didn't say get on a plane and come back to London. Right, <laughs> right. You know? Um, and I'm so glad they didn't because otherwise I wouldn't have my other two children. I, I held it together, but that's partly that, that you know, stiff upper lip you just get shit done, you know? And I'd always been like that as a, you know, I'd always, I've always been a doer, you know, I've always been the one that handles it and follows through and gets it done. What did it do to your trust when he would come back each time? You know, the third time when he came back, I realized I was taking him back for my children's sake, not for my own. And I, you know, his parents had divorced and I came from a long line of happily married people, right? Mm -hmm. My parents, my grandparents, brother, all of them were all long, happy marriage. And so I realized at that point when I took him back, my children were three, seven, and nine, that I was doing it for their sake and not my own. So when Mark had died and he walked out on, a, on our family vacation at his family's home, so I had none of my family around, all his family, and he walked out, leaving a note on the kitchen table, which thank God I found and not my 10 or eight year old son who could have read it. I realized, I, like I read it and then I realized, oh, I'm done. Like, this is it. I finally, like, I finally got to this point where I realized I had to prioritize myself. Yes. Putting my children's needs before my own. Say it again. I had to prioritize myself. And that putting my children's needs before my own was not going to serve me or them. And also I think, and I'm, and I still massively lean into this energy now, which kind of touches on what you were saying before is that I had to also be a role model for my children that I wasn't going to be treated that way by their father, you know, and, and, and I was also, at the, it was at that point and he'd started to, you know, criticize my parenting in front of the children. And that for me was, was just, I realized that wasn't going to work for me anymore. And that being silent and just accepting it, particularly like I didn't want my, my sons, my teenage yes. sons, my now teenage sons or my daughter to have the model of this, the yes, sir, no, sir, because, you know, he was already doing that enough. Like, I mean, back to that comment, you know, before about what he, you were saying about you being too much, you know, if I, if we were at a dinner party and I would start talking about Ayurveda or Prana, Prana and the Pranic energy field, he would go, she has a PhD in neuroscience, kind of like, you know, she's not as crazy as she sounds, you know. And mine, would, mine would put his hand on me under the table and pull me back, literally pull me back. Yeah, yeah. Nothing feels shittier than being told to be quiet by the person who's supposed to support you. Right. And hold you up. Exactly. And you know what I, you're talking about with your boys? And I can't imagine with a girl because I don't have one, but I imagine it would be great. But for me, I'm raising three boys that are God willing going to be three men who don't harm women and who believe in how to treat, you know, humans. Right. Yeah. I'm raising three feminists, right? I mean, trust me, we talk about it. They're not allowed to say the word pussy unless yeah. it relates to a vagina. Like it's, yeah. you know, what I mean? so I pictured my oldest coming to me in his thirties and saying to me, I don't know what to do. I'm broken. And we've done all this work and I don't know how to make it right. And I didn't want to have to look him in the eyes after me doing nothing and being like, you just have to stick it out, son. Because like you said, you said it's not going to serve them or me. So when he left you that note, then what happened? 
So we were on vacation with his family. So I um, uh, got somebody to look after the children and called up one of his family members who's actually married into the family who I'd always really connected with. Because I'd been going to the island at that point um, for mm, 10 years. Uh, no, hang on. 2008. Since 1999, I'd been going. Yeah. So nearly 10 years. And so I called her up and she drove me around the island, like 25 mile an hour speed limit around the island for two hours as I decided what I was going to do, what my next step was. And I realized at that point that I was done. Um, we also had to try and find him because the note had been very ambiguous about what he was going to do mm -hmm. um, and, how, and, and his mental state was really clearly, you know, so I was concerned for his, for his well-being too. Um, and so then we, I got through the week without him, you know, told everybody, oh, we had to go back for work. And then um, came back to the- Don't you love the lies that we tell people? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think at that point too, like I was so, you know, I think I, you know, people loved us as a couple. Right. You know? Oh my God. It was like, it broke everyone's heart around us because I kept our, I kept it looking so good for so long. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think also the fact that we'd got through our son's cancer. Right. You were like the cancer couple that made it through and you, you, right. you Right. You know, oh, so I got the days wrong. Yeah. So he walked out in 14. So I've been going to the island for 16 years and we'd got six years past my son's cancer. So it was like, like you made it through that. You couldn't get through, you know, after that, you know, and it was like, yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 I think it was, it was, we came back to Cleveland. We went, met with our therapist. We went in one-on-one. -on -one, and what was fascinating to me was how um, he came in going, you know, let's try again, you know, da, 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 da. and I was like, I'm, I'm done. done. Like that, that for me. Was he shocked that you turned off the music and said you're done dancing? He, I, he, he was, he was irate. Absolutely irate. Like yeah. he didn't show it in that, but what happened consequently, um, he was irate. Like the legal process got yucky. Yeah. It got yucky because I, I'd said, let's just put all the numbers on the table and if you don't give me information and access to, there were a couple of accounts that I didn't have access to. Yeah. Like, give me access to everything and we put everything on the table. By this date, we can maybe go down the dissolution route. Yeah. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. And so I filed for divorce. Mm-hmm. Unleashed the beast. I yes. Like, I didn't want a time clock on this. I didn't yeah. Want to be yeah. Because I'd done that. Because <laughs> you finally put your foot down. Yeah, yeah. Again, it was that boundary thing. And what's been really interesting in the last six years is that constant, like, you know, it happened last night. You know, there was a push on the boundary and I was like, boundary. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, that's like all the work I do on habits. Like, when yes. you make decisions about how you're going to react in the world and what you're going to do or not do, what you're going to say yes and not to, based on an inherent deep sense of your own values and a very clear idea of the life you're creating, the vision you have for your world, the mission you have on this planet, it becomes so much easier. So when there was this push up against it last night, I was like, nope, that's not, that's not anything to do with me. Right. You know? Is that your self accountability that you work with, with your clients? Yes, exactly. Like yeah. knowing your truth and, yeah. and you don't have to even get emotional about it. Right, right. But you, you know, and what's nice about it, and I, you know, is that you, you know, I like Brene Brown's definition of boundary, because it's what feels right. Tell me it. It's good, right? Because what that allows is it allows you to evolve over time. It allows the relationships to evolve over time. And it allows your boundaries to be different for different people. 
And I think that's also one of the things that's really clear. Like, and you know that from parenting three kids, like, you know, each one is incredibly different in terms of like, sometimes it can be a look, sometimes it, you know, it has to be like, a, are you kidding me? Did you not hear me? You know? And it, you know, they're completely different in what that looks like and how you yeah. engage with them. So when you really start listening to yourself and thinking about boundaries, you know, and for me, a large part of my boundaries with my husband is about not being the, 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 the vomit bucket, mm. you know, right? So it's the boundary of, I refuse to be the receptacle anymore. Where are you guys in, so going through the divorce, he unleashed the beast. Um, how are things now between you? So generally they're pretty good. Like we, you know, we go into each other's houses. We slightly shifted our parenting schedule last year as our kids got a bit older. We go into each other's houses. What's your new parenting schedule? Week on, week off. Because okay. it, um, and we'd switch it at the weekend because it makes it easier then to like bring all of the stuff. Is um, he local? Yeah, so we when we got divorced, we bought two blocks apart from each other. We're four um, blocks apart, and I have a friend that's three blocks apart. But then actually, we ended up moving. I ended up moving to Shaker because of the school district was a better fit for my kids. Yeah. Um, so we're now like a six-minute drive apart. Yeah. He's in Cleveland Heights. I'm in Shaker Heights. Um, yeah. But um, you know, the being very very clear about what that looks like has allowed us to develop more of a relationship. So for our son's 16th birthday, we all went out to dinner. He's, he's never been single. So he, you know, brought his living girlfriend and my son brought his girlfriend and we all had dinner together for our two, two of our kids had birthdays during COVID. One of them we had at my house, one of them we had at his house, you know? And so we're at that place where we can hang out in each other's houses um, and be, be civil, be friendly, you know, engage with each other like that. But you know, for me, it's a big part of it is, is being very clear on my boundaries because, you know, the work that I've done in the last sort of seven or eight years has made it very clear to me that that is what's going to make me feel good. And when I don't stay true to my boundaries and I don't stay true to the, what really helps me is I'm somebody who's incredibly energetically open and people will, you know, the, the energy vampires, they're real. <laughs> And that's, that's our opportunity. The universe is giving us an opportunity to go, now's your chance. Yeah. Totally. Now's your chance to use that voice that you weren't using before. Now's your chance. Tell me, for our listeners, what mistakes did you make during the process of divorce, like the legal yucky process, that you wish you would have done differently, that you'd love for other people to know, like, hey, like one of my biggest ones was I went too fast during the decision-making process because I wanted it to be over because it was so painful. Mm -hmm. And our separation agreement is in stone. Like mm -hmm. it's pretty, I mean, we get along 90% of the time. And when we yeah. don't, we do not get along during yeah. that 10%. But he's really, he loves the document. And yeah. when we don't get along, like that's his like blankie. And so right, right. what is, what are like some of your mistakes that you're like, oh, I would definitely not do this. So, um, you know, we went down the process of doing the money first and the kids second so that the money was not used, the kids were not used as a bartering tool with respect to the money. Um, and the money piece for me was really painful. Um, and I think one of the difficulties, and I, 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 mean, I, I mean, if you can do dissolution, you know, do, because I think the thing that was really hard for me um, was the way that the lawyers made it such a battle. Because they, their best interest is not your children. Right, right. It's about right. getting what they want for their client. Like in my dream scenario, I have a great mediator, a mother, family lawyer in Shaker who hire the two of us, hire me to help you get to a place to get rid of your junk 
and focus on how you can make your kids and then hire her mm -hmm. to do the mediation process so you don't spend a million dollars. And then after all that, then you go to you yeah. and you say, okay, now let's get rid of all of our energy and let's find how we want to live the rest of our life in such an amazing way. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think that, I mean, that I remember that when the divorce was final, it was, was we, we were in court and we did it. I remember walking to the elevator with my lawyer and he said, we could have, you know, got more money, you know, and I remember, and I looked at him and I said, this is a really sad moment. A yeah. 60 year relationship with three children has ended. Please don't talk about the money. Yeah. I'm done. I heard a coach say, if one of the people is focusing on winning, then the children lose. Yeah, yeah, right, and it is. And I think that's the thing that's difficult when you bring the lawyers in. And I, but I mean, you know, we had this initial conversation about mediation, but at that point, like, I didn't want to be in the same room as him. And I, I know. Did, and I did, so for me, mediation was like clearly not something I wanted to deal with because I didn't want to be in the same room as him. I was so yes. angry yes. and so upset and so distraught about that, right? That I just was like, you know what? I know that's not gonna work for me. You know, maybe- At that time with that the time. anger. Yeah, yeah. So given who you are today and how you work with clients, do you think it would have been more beneficial if you would have just said, we know that this is the road we're going down. Let's take some time apart and get calm and find like a schedule temporarily that's gonna work for the kids. So you could have done some healing before going into that fire yeah so i mean you know i think there's validity for that in some people for me i knew i had to get it done yeah you wanted so, to get rid I, of it right i mean i'm somebody that you know it's interesting is i've done more work in the kind of intuitive self-healing sort of boundaries what works for me kind of space is i realize a lot of the big decisions i've made in my life like buying houses saying yes to getting married saying yes to trying to have children all of those sorts of things have been this sort of gut like fuck yes fuck no that i immediately know and i don't have to think about and you know, I think what was really clear to, and I'm somebody that also very much lives in action. And I think I had a very deep sen sense that if I didn't separate everything and have all of the finances separated, all of the money separated, all of the, you know, all of that in place so that I had the new framework that mm -hmm. would allow me to rebuild, I was going to be in a limbo kind of holding pattern that wouldn't allow me to heal, you know? It sounds like, you needed what I believe in, which is the only way out is through. Like yeah. you had to go through Obstacle it. Obstacle path, baby. <laughs> yes, I love it. Will you tell me about, um, so two things. I, I literally could talk to you for like four more sessions, but our time is almost running out. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. One of your clients said, I have learned how to say no to things that don't follow my core goals. Can you tell us more about that? Right. So one of the things that I really help my clients do is to articulate their life vision, right? And from that life vision, then create goals. And from that, those goals create daily habits. So it's a, it's a reverse engineering of your life. And I recently read this thing saying, you know, if you've got more than three or four priorities, you have none, right? So this process of getting really, really clear on what the point of your life is, right? Like if you think about your obituary, what's your legacy, right? Yes. You know, and sinking into that and moving away from what I often say to my clients is like, stop shooting on yourself or let yes. should on you, right? And, and you know, women tend to be terrible at that, right? They just allow every, like their culture, their gender. I should, I shouldn't. I should. Yeah. Right? So for that, it was really about 
helping them figure out like, what is it I want in my life? And then what can I say yes or no to that feeds into that? Because it goes back to that thing of like, when you make a rubric, when you make a structure, when you create frameworks, it supports you. You know, we make 35,000 decisions every day. So if you can reduce those by having a framework of like, you know, I exercise every day because part of my life value is to be able to run with my grandkids or my great grandkids when I'm 95, or I want to hike up Machu Picchu on my 75th birthday, but I'm not going to be able to do that if I'm sitting on the sofa eating donuts and watching Netflix, right? So mm. does it fit with who you want to be in the world? So the world? once you know what your goal is and your priority, then you ask that question, which is basically what I do with my clients about divorce is mm. if your goal is that you don't mess up your kids because of your divorce, because you're going to mess them up a different way, yeah. then is this choice to put yeah. your flag down right here about this thing, yeah. supporting the goal that you want, which, because my real goal is when they're grown up, and they come back, they don't have to go, now I have to go to dessert at my mom's, now I have to go to dinner at my dad's, yeah, we can right. all sit together at a long-ass blended family potluck dinner and totally. show up. Totally, I completely agree. And the same with like the wedding, because I remember at my wedding, uh, my husband's mother and father, even though they'd been divorced for over a decade at that point, didn't even want to be in the same room. And I it's was like- It's so selfish. Yeah. It's so selfish. Well, and it's also like back to that Brene Brown thing of like, when you're face down in the arena, what do you do? And yeah. I think that for so many people, it's like, la, 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 finger yeah. in the air. I'm not going to face what got me here. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Or the, the rear view mirror living, right? I'm good, like, and I remember that when I, like, I got asked out on a date about three months after I'd separated. And I remember thinking, not fucking ready for this. Yeah. And the other part of me was like, I don't want to become one of these all men are assholes. I hate yes. There's right. no man out there that's trustworthy, that treats right. well, that treats women, you know? And so I, I like, I said yesterday, cause I was like, I need to like open myself up to the idea that there are men out, you know, and not become one of these man hating bitter old cows. <laughs> yes. Yes. Where can I ask you, where are you in your dating life today? I'm single right now. Um, I look been, out. <laughs> I've dated a few people. I mean, I think the difficulty I'm finding is that I'm, I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I, there's a, there's a few core things that I need in my partner. Tell me. So I, like, you got to put it out to the universe. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I, so let's hear it. So this is the same also with my intimate female relationships. Yes. I need people that are willing to take radical responsibility for their own experience. And Fuck so yes. that means people who will go, oh, I fucked up. Yeah. I need to do some work here. And, uh, and, and, you know, for me, like it's a recognition, you know, I'm, I'm straight. I've tried dating women, but I just, I really like men. Um, yeah. It's the empowered masculine energy. So a man who knows when, you just need to cry and be held yes. and is comfortable doing that himself, but also knows when you need to, you know, be thrown over a chair, you know, <laughs> or against the wall, right. Against, up against the wall. Love that. And then but, what's the other one? Are there any other core values that you need? So deep kindness. Yes. Kindness, kindness, kindness. And also I, I'm a classic sapiosexual. So I need somebody who I can have idea sex with. Tell me, wait, give me some more information about what you just said. So somebody who, like, if you can't play with my mind, you can't yes. play with my body, right? So, right? Wait, can I tell you something? So I used to be 
I used to think I was slutty before, like before I like had my husband, my husband, and I found out that I wasn't over sex. I was just under secure, mm -hmm. and I kept changing my sex ideal until I could get to a place where I'm at now, which is you're not allowed to touch my body until you've touched my soul. Yeah. And the only way I can let you touch my soul is if we start having this kind of mental discussion mm -hmm. and digging deep and showing me vulnerability and getting in under there and yeah. showing that radical responsibility. So you want that in order for any of the body to feel anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think so that, so that for me is really, really cool. And also, you know, the, the business I've built is, is not, tied to Cleveland and I don't see myself spending the rest of my life here you know yeah. and so I'm also really attracted to men who have some kind of entrepreneurial energy and you know because I love food and travel you know I have someone for you but I can't see who it is on air but I'm going to see if the universe wants it but what I want you to know and I believe this more than I believe many many things I believe that if we know what we want which you do mm -hmm. that the universe will give us what we need when it's time yeah. But if we make shitty choices because we don't like to feel alone, or, right? Or we don't want to wait and we're not patient and we'll take whatever's in front of us, mm -hmm. then the universe is like, oh, you're not ready. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think that's the thing for me is being with somebody who will also somebody who, you know, when I push myself in my business, because I'm really, you know, I'm in a big expansion state in my business is I want somebody who I can have conversations with about my business and who will, instead of just going, you've got this, you're great. We'll go, what does it look like? How can you do it? How Hold your feet to the fire, but helps you, helps you like brainstorm. Exactly. Not just, Cause like you've got it. Your grade is actually not listening. It's yeah, just, totally. Totally, totally. And I've dated guys like that who, who you, know, uh, you know, do the more conventional work in the world, as it were, that which, I mean, I think, because I think one of the things is when you step into the entrepreneurial world, to be successful, you are constantly facing yourself, mm -hmm. right? Like you can't do this work without constantly looking under the hood and going, oh shit, I undersold myself. Yes. I gave too much away. How did I show up? Was I vulnerable enough? Was I, did I share too much? How did I hold space for people? Was I able to allow this person to have a voice and not that person when you're doing group work? You know, and so you're constantly facing yourself on a regular basis. And so for me to date somebody who does, who's not willing to do that, and is, that's not- You'd be so life. bored. Right, right. You'd be, yeah. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to see what's next. I have one last question because I'm not joking. I could literally talk to you forever. <laughs> and I'm pretty, first of all, I know how to say it's Ayurveda, right? Yeah. Did I do it? I practiced. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that we're going to be in each other's lives again because I didn't even know that we were this physically close and like spiritually close. Will you tell me what your advice you would give those struggling with the pain and emotional roller coaster of divorce and what they need to do to become the best version of themselves for their children and for themselves? So two things. One is to bookend your, so, so much of it's life is not controllable, right? And we're saying that right now with everything going on. Bookend your day. So start and end your day on your terms. Not reacting to the needs of anybody else, not reacting to Twitter and Instagram and the news and the political world and everything that was in turmoil. Start the day on your own terms. And the way I often say it is like, you know, you as a mother are the lighthouse. And mm. your children I do too. 
are the ships and they're going to crash at your shore. They're going to crash on the rocks if you don't stoke that fire within, right? So I say to all my clients, get up before your kids. Yes. Just 15 minutes to sit yes. and breathe and have a cup of coffee without having a toddler's head in your lap while you pee or having a, you know, a teenager going, where's my shirt? Where's my whatever it is, right? Start the day on your own terms end the day on your own terms. Yes. That nighttime routine, getting into a place of gratitude, detaching from social media, having a bath, loving your body, adoring your physical body, right? Massaging your, one of the th practices that I love doing, and it's an Ayurvedic practice is warm body massage. Because mm. again, it's like, hi, my body is here. You know, one of the difficult things when you go through a divorce, I mean, most people who go through a divorce have had a period of often sexual separation in their yeah. relationship. But touching your body and going, hey, like you're, you're here. I adore you. I love you. So finding practices as well during the day. So these are the intentional practices. And the way I describe it is you want to really start cultivating intentional practices yes. that you can then use in a reactive state. So when you find yourself in a really triggered moment, having those tools, like I know if I go for a walk, lets the energy move through my system or maybe it's journaling or maybe it's qigong or maybe it's hugging your dog or jumping on the kids trampoline anything that allows you to ground and get rid of that energy right because energy emotions are energy and motion so don't let them log lodge in your body right ground yourself like put your feet in mother nature you know yeah. <sighs> right and feel it feel it yeah I like, I'm not even joking. I'm really excited that we got to connect. Me I, too. <laughs> I kind of feel like I just found like a new human in my life and I don't have them a lot because like I'm different. And I always say to my kids, I'm not for everyone. Yeah. Totally, <laughs> so, totally. Yeah. That's okay, baby. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So if you want to connect with this amazing, incredible human, by the way, I have a referral that I'm sending to you when we get off. Um, TamsinAster.com and also on Facebook, that's T-A-M-S-I-N-Aster, A-S-T-O-R. If any listeners out there want to connect with me, please reach out to me at In Your Corner Coach at Gmail. I am happy to do a complimentary session to see if we fit and if you want to hook up. As I sit here with you, I just realized that like how many gifts that there are in the arena struggles of that face down and in those moments with Mark and with your kids and all the darkness and that letter on the table, like so many gifts, like we needed them all. Absolutely. And like I, I wouldn't change them for anything. No, because they make you who you are. And I, yeah. and I think that, you know, like people got very stuck on it when I said my marriage failed. And I was like, no, like I own the fact that it failed because I went to divorce. That means my marriage failed. But I am not a failure. I actually will challenge you. <laughs> and I do not allow my clients to call their marriage a failure <laughs> because of those three humans that are living in your house. And they do not come from failure. They come from perfect. They came from a perfect union that made those three beautiful souls that nobody could touch with anything other than beauty. And so what didn't happen, what, what did happen was your marriage didn't work out, but there was nothing that failed about it. Just the wet, the, like what happened from the wedding until the end, you two didn't work out, but there was no failure. Mm. Because okay. a failure means you throw away the experiment, it's done. But there's no failure here. Yeah. 
So you can let it marinate and tell me if I'm wrong. I'll welcome yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I don't, I don't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> Have an amazing day. Thank you so much. Thank for you for the time. This was awesome. For any listeners who would like to go deeper into my story, check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, available in paperback, audio, or digital. Regardless of how we find ourselves in the world of divorce, the one thing we have complete control over is how we behave from here on out. We have two choices. One is to remain stuck in the stories, the anger and pain. And the other is to take a breath, adjust our sail to the wind, and work harder than ever before to create a new story for our children, for ourselves, and for the world around us. It's your choice, your work, but I'll be in your corner. Welcome to In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. On Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and IndieBound. Remember, we get to write this next chapter for our kids, for ourselves, and for the world around us. Have a great day.